Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Nightside with Dan Ray on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. All right, welcome back, everyone. That was an interesting 8 o'clock hour, our nightly Nightside News update covering ticks in Massachusetts, culture, the Shakespeare in the Common, as well as the Lowell Folk Festival, and the warming waters off the New England coast, which could could be a harbinger of um, hurricane problems or more intense hurricanes this fall. So now we will um, open up phone lines and we're going to spend the next hour, or expect to spend the next hour, with Dr. Bart Costco. Uh, comes highly recommended to us. Uh, he is an author. He is a lawyer. He has degrees in law, philosophy, economics, mathematics, and engineering. So he is sort of, I guess what you would call a true Renaissance man, for all we know, he probably has memorized some of Shakespeare's plays since we inter- since we talked about Shakespeare last hour. Dr. Costco, I talked with you for about 20 minutes during the um, 7 o'clock hour, and I so enjoyed yes. the conversation. I hope we can pick up where we, got, where we left off. Welcome to Nightside. Good to be with you, Dan. It's not often I get to talk to somebody who not only is a lawyer, but also is um, uh, a professor of electrical engineering, because normally lawyers can't do much other than think about the law and talk as i'm sure most lawyers do have do not have a lot of mechanical aptitude if you ever watched a lawyer trying to hammer a nail it's it can be hysterical <laughs> you seem to have a little well a lot of both tell us about your background you know i started in philosophy and economics and a lot of folks in philosophy as you know go on to law but they also sure. go into science and engineering And when I was 18, I went to USC, where I'm now a professor, and I took an advanced course on symbolic logic. So I was really concerned about what I was saying whenever I said something or wrote something, all and some and that sort of thing, and syllogisms. And that led to a lot of things, but it certainly led to an interest in the law. But the trouble I had with the study of logic, I was pretty good at it, was it was black or white. And so grass is green, yes or no, 100%, but grass is not green 100%. In any legal term, uh, you'll find that the culpability of the suspect or whatever it happens to be is almost always a shade of gray. And that led me into what we call fuzzy logic. And my new book is called Fuzzy Thinking that discusses that. So I do balance between many boats, as they say, and occasionally fall into the water. But it was, for me, a natural path. And the study of law, I would put it this way, for prospective law students is, in effect, a way of doing, uh, not science, but way of doing reasoning without math, whereas in science you need mathematics. So there's a good connection between logic and math and law. I think that surprises some law students. That, oh, my goodness, you know, the whole point I went into law, some will say, is to get away from mathematics. But as you know, it's all about arguing your case, proving your case, proving it up. And the word probability itself, probari, like in probate, comes from that term, that Latin root, to prove. 
Sure. Well, the other thing too is that um, the way the law has expanded. I mean, back back in the day, even before when you and I were in law school, uh, that there wasn't. There's so law has exploded in so many areas now. Um, yes. And and one of the areas, of course, uh, that that you're particularly involved in, um, you know, copyright law, patent law, um, and, and now artificial intelligence um, and they all are somewhat interconnected I believe um, artificial intelligence as a term is a term that intimidates a lot of people of course it's called AI for artificial intelligence mm-hmm. um, and particularly older people say what what are you talking about I mean are you talking about Martians or no we're, we're talking about this the computers the the ability to to uh, hold and, and, uh, and assemble information, put it together, uh, and now we're able to access virtually anything. I remember when I was in law school and you had to go research a case. You were in the law library and you you were looking up books and and, and cases. In the stacks. Yeah. You're in the stacks. You got it. Um, and now you sit in front of the computer and literally pull up any case you want you know want to talk about immigration law like yeah let's go look at us versus arizona boom 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 immigration law um it, it that that case it becomes a lead case if whatever you whatever you, it's so easy to find all because of computers but now mm-hmm. we have people who are going even beyond computers and that's where it's starting to get scary so let's focus on artificial intelligence and like mm-hmm. anything kind of like you know, atomic energy, there's a plus and there's a minus. I Correct. think we know what the plus and minus of atomic energy is, nuclear energy. Uh, it can wipe out civilizations. It can provide energy to, to civilizations and, and improve. Too cheap to meter, as Eisenhower said. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe. Um, so artificial intelligence, I mean, it's great, uh, you know, compendium of information, but one of the things that you made the point to me earlier tonight is that there's a lot of artificial intelligence which the word you told me was hallucinates and I didn't know what you were yes. talking about. So why don't you explain that to my audience? Very good. And it's not an LSD hallucination, it's no. a computer hallucination. So AI is itself almost a misnomer. We often in engineering call it CI or computational intelligence or computer intelligence. And by intelligence, we just mean that the programming increases the probability that the program will solve a problem, like detecting your face in an image or detecting credit fraud or whatever it happens to be. And unlike the old days of computer science and AI from your area, say at MIT, my old friend and mentor, Marvin Minsky, where they would try to program a computer to recognize faces. Marvin, by the way, designed the first neural network as part of his PhD thesis, but that was uh, an earlier era. But unlike that earlier era trying to program what your face looks like, the idea here is to take a computer system and give it many examples of your face and adjust a lot of knobs, parameters we call them, analogous to the wires or synapses in your brain. And then after a while, if you use the right algorithm, it starts to learn your face. Not just what we trained on, but new pictures of your face. So it can generalize. It can recognize patterns. And that's the breakthrough the math of that's been around for a very long time. A lot of it was developed, for example, to take another 
a gentleman from your area, my good friend, Professor Stephen Grossberg at Boston University, developed this something called ART, or Adaptive Resonance Theory. That started in the 70s. The difference, though, Dan, is today the speed of modern computers, because the computer chips that drive them have been doubling in their power, the number of on-off circuits, essentially every two years. Uh, we're almost at the limits of that, but that's been going on for decades now. So algorithms have been out there that were really not feasible, certainly not for real-time applications, and absolutely not for language models uh, are suddenly feasible. So to take come back to hallucinations, one problem is when you're learning lots of things by example, you can learn the wrong, th- wrong things. And when these systems get so large, so for example, with the chat GPT systems from OpenAI or the new Llama system from Facebook or the new Google system, for example, called Palm, it has over a half a trillion knobs that it turns, 540 billion. So a lot can go wrong. We're in uncharted territory. And to take the legal example, last month in a Manhattan federal courtroom, some attorneys were sanctioned. I think the penalty phase is still ongoing for relying on chat GPT, which itself is okay to research a case. This had to do a personal injury case with representing a client who allegedly was hurt by an airline in Colombia. So it was in federal, federal court. But the trouble was the chat system created six cases, case laws that didn't exist. It just made them up. And the attorneys claim, and I believe them, that they were not aware of that. And so it, it, I think a lot of lawyers look at that saying, wait a minute, it's time to pump the, pump the brakes. You can use this for recommendation, but, but this is detrimental reliance if you simply take the output of these uh, chat systems. Wow. So, so the artificial intelligence created these cases because made it up. No, no, but but did they? Was there a causal relationship? I.e., they created the cases because there was a search for that gen that general part of the law, or had someone um, made up those cases and already fed it into the? No, no, no. The algorithm made it up. So it was programmed by engineers um, in all likelihood wouldn't know what a federal courtroom is. And another example was just on 60 Minutes uh, the previous Sunday where they went to Google. Google showed them their new system called BARD, like Shakespeare, B-A-R-D, and it did well. But then they asked it a question about inflation, got an interesting answer. And when they the 60 Minutes folks went home and looked it up, the answer relied on five economics textbooks that did not exist. So what we're talking about here is not just misconnecting the dots, Dan, but inventing dots and then, in effect, misconnecting it. And it does not tell you that it's hallucinating, that it's making things up, that it's lying. Okay, so so you you have just clarified it in my mind. This is not the the big computer artificial intelligence having been fed bad information that you know no no um, no, you know, no, no bad Kennedy intent. Is the thirty sixth, not the thirty fifth president. Uh, th- right. This this actually is the algorithms of uh, artificial intelligence creating right. product, which then people are going to rely upon. Um, wow! Exactly. Yeah. Now, look, it's getting better. It's going to have to get a lot better. But what we want now is something called XAI or explainable AI, and it's expensive. But we want something where we have a kind of legal audit trail that tells us how the system came up with that answer. Maybe a confidence measure, like I'm 80% confident that's the right answer, or mm-hmm. some ma- measure of the a degree of hallucination. And that is something, by the way, we feel we can achieve with fuzzy logic, again, at an expense, because we ultimately sample and learn from the trained neural system, the AI system, 
to create a set of rules. But it's expensive, and it takes a lot of computing power. But right now, there's such a contest among the big tech companies to get into this and to be first and to get market share that it's going to take a while to just to diagnose the fact that they have problems like hallucinations and and to begin to address that. I'm concerned, though, Dan, having been in this field for decades, that the problem with that, and it's so widespread, we're seeing students using chat systems to create papers in the field of engineering, the largest professional society, the IEEE, now requires when you submit a journal or conference paper that you disclose to what degree, if any, you've relied upon a chat chat type system. So the amount of cheating, even among scientists, is out there. But I'm very concerned about people using this, not being aware of what it is. Now, to give you another legal example, though, where I think it's been very helpful, if you if you're doing civil litigation and there's a lot of depositions, you may have hundreds of pages or a thousand pages of testimony that has to be boiled down. You can hire an associate to boil it down for you, and the associate can make errors, or you can run it through. So my colleagues do a chat GPT type system and they can boil it down. But then you've got to check it. You know, it's like the associate working for you and respondeat superior. So you you are liable here for uh, relying upon that and as people then in turn rely on you. Right. The, the, put it in political terms, the, as Harry Truman said, the buck stops here and the buck stops here. If you're the partner in the law firm who's relying on the associate. Uh, yeah. Okay, we've got to take a quick break. My guest is Dr. Bart Kosko. Um, his book that he wrote in 1993, which was a huge bestseller called Fuzzy Thinking, um, has been re-released. And we'll talk about fuzzy thinking, also neural networks. Uh, these are things that, that he um, has certainly advanced knowledge of or maybe even was the creator of some of these thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to talk about artificial intelligence with someone who knows a lot. Do not be intimidated. He's easy to talk to. 617-254-1030, 888-931-1030. We'll get you on the air. Uh, Dr. Bart Costco, a professor. He's an attorney and an engineering professor at USC, University of Southern California. So uh, it, <laughs> uh, very rarely do we get a chance to speak to someone who holds degrees in law, philosophy, economics, mathematics, and civil engineering. I think of my friend Jack Lou, who's probably listening tonight out in Palo Alto, who has four advanced degrees from MIT. There are still people like that who can, like Dr. Costco, actually communicate ideas and you can learn from. We will be back on Nightside. Feel free. Join us here on Nightside on a Friday night, an absolutely superb Friday night here at the end of July in 2023. We are perilously close to August, so uh, enjoy this weekend, however, wherever you are, but particularly if you're in New England, because the temperatures are finally, finally going to back off just a little bit. Back on Nightside with you, phone calls, and my guest, Dr. Bart Costco, talking about artificial intelligence, something all of us need to know more about uh, in, in the years ahead. Trust me on that. Artificial intelligence, AI, is not going away. Back on Nightside. You're on Nightside with Dan Ray on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. Talking with Dr. Bart Kosky. He is a um, professor at, at USC, University of Southern California, in engineering. He's an attorney, uh, best selling author. Let's go back to the book 1993, Fuzzy Thinking. I remember George Bush, George W. Bush at one point used the phrase fuzzy mass. <laughs> you predated Correct. that with your book. Uh, 
<laughs> Tell us what um, Fuzzy Thinking uh, is all about, and that's the book that is now being re-released, coming out in digital form at the end of this month. Um, fuzzy Thinking, explain it, please. Fuzzy Thinking, Dan, is thinking with shades of gray, not just black-white concepts. Like I mentioned before, the grass is green, maybe 80%. The sky is blue, 60%, but also not blue, 40%. It's a much more humanistic way of reasoning, and we can capture that often in rules, very much like sentences. And those rules, in turn, combine to produce systems, and we end up with a lot of rules that turn inputs to outputs. So to take a concrete example, and there are literally thousands of examples of fuzzy applications, I have a Subaru car, and it uses fuzzy logic in its transmission to shift gear. So it's looking several times per second at the sensor data coming in and making a decision about to shift up or shift down. And the result is a much smoother transmission. And most people have a fuzzy logic gadget in the house, a microwave oven, a camera, even a washing machine. And there's an entire subway system in the city of Sendai hit by the tsunami in 2011 that uses fuzzy logic for its control. So you have a lot of experts reasoning with shades of gray, in effect, hundreds or thousands of times per second. And now what we can do is take these black box AI systems that don't explain themselves, that can hallucinate, as we said, and then train on those and convert that into a set of rules. Now, that's discussed in fuzzy thinking. My webpage has some more, the more webpage USA, more of the recent mathematics, but we didn't have the computing power to do this in the 90s. We have it now. And it's true that George W. Bush uh, used the word fuzzy math uh, when he ran against Al Gore, and you can see also my webpage, my November 2000 op-ed in the New York Times on Election Day that criticized both of them for using the term fuzzy math as a slur without realizing that in each of their home states, respectively Tennessee and Texas, they actually had government-funded institutes studying fuzzy logic. <laughs> so, so, again, what I think the average person who's listening to the show right now um, is trying to decide in their own mind, is artificial intelligence, however it is applied, is it something that's going to make our lives better or something that will make our lives worse? When you talk about your Subaru with a, um, a thousand decisions it's making and information, bits of information that it's getting, uh, I guess back in the day when, when people were driving on, on standard you know shift cars and mm -hmm. you had to physically put it in first to get going, bring it yeah. up to second, and you had that's how you learned to drive. In effect, the, that what would we absorbed intellectually, whether we realized it or not, we didn't stay in first too long, or the, or the car would just sort of would, would never go beyond a certain amount of mi uh, miles per hour. I assume that that's the same sort of input, electrical impulses and input that goes into the transmission of your Subaru that makes the ride as smooth as you hope it to be, correct? Exactly. And okay. another example is it's difficult to back up a truck and a trailer, just a car in a parking lot to a loading dock. And neural networks can do it. AI systems, a fuzzy system can do it. I think back in the day, we got it down to 30 rules. Some folks got it down to four or five rules. But those are skillful tasks, difficult tasks, and we can capture it. Now, I want to point out, besides the language models, a lot of great applications of AI in diagnostics, especially in medicine. And one example is looking at your retina to see if there's any damage to it. And you can largely beat the best humans at that. 
You can also use that information, Dan, to predict, to correlate the probability that you may have some other maladies based on what they see in your retina. Just to take one example, and this is becoming routine now to help, say, a radiologist look at a scan of your lung or some other organ, not to have the controlling decision, but to make a recommendation, like maybe take another look at that white spot right there. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's the beginning of a stroke or something like that. That's all to the good. We'll only get better by the day. And not just in this country, but it allows poorer countries to have this high-end diagnostic skill almost for free. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So that's the artificial intelligence that is so positive. When we get back, we have a news break here at the bottom of the hour. Let's talk a bit about what people are concerned about and, uh, and maybe what sure. all of us should be concerned about. And I watched a 60-minute piece on this very subject three or four um, months ago. I think it was a Leslie Stahl piece in which one of the folks who were, um, yeah, I think, one of the early chat GPT folks was saying, hey, I'm concerned about what we have created. I'm sure you know of what I speak. We'll talk about yes. that a little bit and incorporate folks who may want to uh, join the conversation. Again, I know this is... I'm not making it high level, and don't be intimidated by Professor um, Costco because he is uh, amazingly easy to talk to and also very clear in what he says. So feel free to ask any question. As I often said, I learned in law school a long time ago. The only dumb questions are the questions you're afraid to ask because those are the questions that always come up on the exam and you sure wish you had asked about them in class. 617-254-1030, 888-929-1030, and 617-931-1030. This is Dan Ray. This is WBZ in Boston, 1030 on the AM dial. Feel free to join this conversation. We'll be back right after a news break at the bottom of the hour. You're on Nightside with Dan Ray on WBZ, Boston's news radio. Thank you, Madison. We are talking with Dr. Bart Costco. He is a um, professor. He's an attorney and a professor of engineering at the University of Southern California. He holds degrees in law, philosophy, economics, mathematics, and engineering. And that is um, quite a intellectual collaboration. Uh, those degrees. We've covered a lot of the uh, uh, the waterfront for sure. Dr. Costco, we've talked about, as you mentioned, um, the advances uh, in medical technology that artificial intelligence um, uh, is going to be an amazing force for good. But there are other people who are concerned, um, particularly folks who have jobs. Uh, now you have Hollywood scriptwriters who are concerned yes. on the picket lines in, in Hollywood about their jobs as um, scriptwriters being taken away, the SAG after strike. And then you have a lot of people who have you know, what you would call regular jobs who are concerned that artificial intelligence is going to come and basically wipe out their profession, um, that robots will be able to do it um, less expensively, or, or, or I guess I could, I, that's one way to phrase it, I could, change, I could say ch more cheaply, uh, if you're uh, running a McDonald's or, uh, or a Starbucks. Um, so there's a bit of a yin to a yang here, uh, yin and a yang. Mm -hmm. Are you concerned about any of the the 
the concerns, uh, are you troubled, I should say, by the concerns that, that different folks have raised as to what, um, what, what the workforce might look like 20 years from now? I am concerned for a lot of reasons. We don't have the best education system. Our students, especially K through 12, I think are already starting to use things like chat AI or other type systems to rely on. I mean, after all, Dan, how good is your long division? in the era of the pocket calculator. Probably not very good, at least what it once was. So there's that kind of concern. Very true. And then there are jobs that, yeah, exactly. There are jobs that are highly repetitive. So assembly line jobs, those have always been candidates for automation. There's been a lot of it, but wasn't as bad as we thought. It's still coming. What I think is causing the bigger shock is the white collar jobs like the screenwriters and the teleplay writers in Hollywood. And if you look at that, I would just say, as someone who dabbles in that myself and is a fiction writer, uh, you can go back and look at a lot of scripts. There are tens of thousands of these in Hollywood and feed those to an AI system, which only will get more powerful. But just to the ones we have today, give it some guidelines. Okay, I want a murder mystery with this kind of twist. And you'll get an answer probably in a minute or two, depending on what kind of fee you pay and which company. And I'll give you an example. If you saw the, I think, quite excellent movie, most of it anyway, by Quentin Tarantino called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it focused on the era of those Westerns from the 50s and 60s. And as Tarantino has said in the movie, how well written those were. They were very tight, done on a shoestring budget. He himself apparently wrote a bunch of episodes. So you don't need to be Quentin Tarantino, though. You could just go back, dig through some old episodes of Rawhide or Mannix or whatever it happens to be, feed it to the system, and it's going to be real difficult to detect that. So there's a natural concern among the writers and and then how that's being shared with the producers in Hollywood. But it extends to other fields like writing legal briefs, as I mentioned, which is a big factor. And what, what really worries me as an instructor is the hardest thing to do from a creative point is to generate new text, like we're doing here, just talking. It's a very creative act. And the hardest thing beyond that, I think, is written text, polished text, something you could submit to the professional world as a journal article, as as a book, as a brief. That's going to be undermined, I think, terribly. And we just don't know where it's going to the point we defer to it. And it raises a lot of questions about copyright. So, for example, just this month, there was a major class action lawsuit filed in federal court in San Francisco against Meta, against Facebook, Sure. And some of the class representatives... Meta is a target-rich environment. Exactly. And it's got its new system called Llama, for example, which has 65 billion tune parameters on it. It will only grow in time. But one of the class representatives is the comedian and author, Sarah Silverman, for example. Yep. So we'll see in discovery how this plays out, but it appears the allegations, only just that, is that Meta and some other firms have been using copyrighted books to train on. And now, so we know these large language systems train on Wikipedia, publicly available stuff, all your social media, uh, up to including what are called tokens, or trillions of these things now. So they run for a long time. And how much of that rightly belongs to the artist? That's a big issue. And then the copyright it creates, who owns that? And then there are issues of patents that come out of this in the invention world and a lot of things related to personal identity that come out of it. So completely wide open area uh, for intellectual property attorneys like me. But beyond that, just the, the tough questions as we enter this information age of who owns what. 
and those are the questions that we're going that we will have to wrestle with. And of course, lawyers, uh, you're you're well <laughs> you're well positioned both as a lawyer uh, and also a, a, as an author. Um, you've had success with uh, several books, um, f fuzzy mm -hmm. thinking, and uh, <laughs> a, amongst others. Uh, what are you working on at this point? Um, are, are, is there is there? Oh, Dan, I'd love to tell you, but it's a trade secret. It's I, uh, it. I no do problem. have more. That is no problem. I wasn't. <laughs> I'm just always trying to figure out where. No, you no, I know. I, I do have more torpedoes in the tube. You know, I, I live a dual existence in that sense of uh, writing nonfiction, mathematics, journal articles. I just posted two more of them this week for upcoming AI conferences. You can see them on our webpage. And I write fiction, and I have a novel series that will be coming out at some point. Uh, this is always complicated, and it's writing and the agents and negotiating and publishers, but it, it does deal with these matters. All right, let's let's start get some callers into our conversation here. My guest, Dr. Bart Costco. Again, we're, we're, we're trying to cover the waterfront very quickly, but it is a big waterfront. It actually is more like a tidal wave that is coming at us, uh, and we have to adjust to it if I want to get metaphorical. Let me go first up tonight. We'll stay pretty local. We'll go to Tom in South Boston. Hey, Tom, welcome. You are first this hour with Dr. Bart Costco talking about artificial intelligence. Tom, go right ahead. Dan, this is an awesome show. I really appreciate it. I am. Well, I, I am. I appreciate a, uh, my guest because he's the one that's <laughs> carrying the ball. Go ahead. I mean, Tom. he's he's got me going a mile a minute. Uh, yeah. I am. I am an engineer. I have uh, a background in engineering, and one of the things I connected with was the. Uh, I worked for the utility, okay. so the utility has all kinds of smart intelligence on the grid, all kinds mm -hmm. of switches and controls and it's 24 7 every minute the yeah. grid controls the world and uh i'm just listening and saying this guy is on target oh i think he's very i, I appreciate that tom and most people don't know what you just said that balancing the load as we call it on the electric grid is is a 24 7 problem it's vulnerable to the tiniest fluctuations due to noise and other things and what's really scary dan is the amount of potential attacks from adversaries, and not just China, say, or North Korea, or places like that, but just some hacker in his basement doing yeah, this. Well, and as we expand, <laughs> yeah. You're talking but about the as we expand to electric cars. Pulses? Is that what you're talking about? Well, well, that I mean, that's really scary. We can have an EMP pulse, and we can just get that from the sun. But, But I mean, just the ability to explode what we sometimes call logic bombs in the code that's quite probably been implanted by some of our adversaries Ooh. in the software that controls the system. So you could knock out some of the power out where I am. I'm in the mountains outside of Los Angeles. And in theory, it could knock out the power where you are. And as we put more and more electric vehicles onto the power grid, a very outdated grid that is not ready for certainly for cyber attacks, not ready for electromagnetic pulses from an adversary, you know, from a small H-bomb in the sky or from the sun, or wherever it happens to come from. But just, just the effect of so many people using it, it's so complicated a control problem. A lot of my colleagues work on this, that uh, the slightest error can get magnified into a magnificent engineering cascade catastrophe. And, and it is a real problem. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Have you read the book I, 77 I, Days in, in September? Uh. That was, no. that was a book about about an uh, an electronic um, uh, electromagnetic pulse uh, that was caused by the the the, the um, detonation of a small nuke of over the United States. Right. No, but I read the similar book one second after. Okay. Uh, but it's and I have studied that extensively. So if you go back to under JFK under the end of his term in the early well middle of his term in the 1960s. We were detonating at the end H-bombs way up in the atmosphere, a couple hundred miles up in Operation Starfish Prime. And one of those, when it detonated the, the, the fireball, the H-bomb, I think it was about two megatons. It stayed up there and lit for a long time, knocked out a lot of power grids in Hawaii at the time. Now, today, it would be utterly devastating. Hmm. And it, so that, that's just a, a very dumb nuke. And incidentally, the reason we did that was we could see at the time the only way to knock down a nuke was with another nuke. Now, hopefully we can do better than that with our weapon systems. But it's a concern as more and more countries, beginning with North Korea, not only have now an H-bomb, but they're working on ICBMs to deliver them. Yeah. The, by the way, the, the, the book, 77 Days in September, the author was a guy named Ray Gorham. Um, and it's a really interesting book. It just it just shows everything gets shut down. I mean, everything gets yep. shut down when this oh, yeah. electromagnetic yeah, yeah. else hits. Tom, I feel I've, I've cut you out of the conversation. Do you have another no, comment? No, no, it, it's been great. I mean, I'm I'm living I'm living the grid right now, and uh, <laughs> I'm I'm a, I'm a recipient of air conditioning and, yeah. and relaxing in my home, <laughs> but yeah. up up the ladder there were people uh, controlling the grid. Yeah. yeah, and uh, as we say in California, have plenty of water back up, both yeah. because of problems with the grid. We have earthquakes out here and other things, but this is going to get a lot worse, I'm afraid. And it just—it's not an easy thing to upgrade the grid. The other problem related to this is that we don't have a backup on our GPS system, the 31 satellites up there. Unlike our opponents, the Russians and the Chinese, who do have a similar system, and those are backed up. And so you can fiddle with those in a variety of engineering ways, software attack ways, including those that tie into electric grid. It's a huge vulnerability, and we need to be doing a lot more work on it. So what you're, what you're telling me right now, uh, Dr. Costco, is I should not have thrown my old map books of New England away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Keep those around. <laughs> oh, no, they're long gone. They're long gone. <laughs> hey, no, I still, have, I still have a few <laughs> Oh, do me a favor. If I need him, I'll call him. Thomas guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, drop him, I'll drop him off at Avenue Louis Pester. Uh, but did, did you go to the same school I went to? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, Tom. <laughs> I'm sure you graduated a, a few years after me, but... Um... <laughs> I was 73. Yeah, Zoom is preemie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Have All right, Dan.
All right, good night. We're talking to you about the oldest public school in America, Boston, Boston Latin School, mm. uh, Dr. Costco, <laughs> founded in 1635. Harvard was founded in 1636 to, gra- to, to oh. educate the graduates of Boston Latin School, which is a true story, by the way. Um, Interesting. An absolute true story. We've got other callers, and we have another segment coming up with Dr. Bart Costco. Um, I, I, as someone who is not comfortable with the the whole concept and uh, the conversation he's made me comfortable i hope he's made you as comfortable as me i'm enjoying it hope you are as well if you'd like to get a quick call in here 617-254-1030 also 617-931-1030 both of those lines are open if you want to dial quickly coming right back for a concluding segment uh when we get back after the 10 o'clock news we're going to um i took some time um today to go over the uh, the transcript of the Hunter Biden hearing, a lot of information that I culled from that. We'll also be talking with Bill Brett, who has another um, coffee table book that you could be in or someone could be in. We'll explain all of that. And then later on tonight, the 20th hour, not sure what we're going to do, but we'll end the week on a positive note in some form or fashion, and all of us will be able to participate. My name's Dan Ray. This is Nightside on WBZ 1030 in the AM dial, Boston, Massachusetts, back after this. It's Nightside with Dan Ray on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. My guest is Dr. Bart Costco. Um, he is um, there's a re-release of his 1993 book, uh, Fuzzy Thinking, that is uh, going to be available. Actually, probably is available now in digital form, as I understand it. We'll get some more information on that. But in the meantime, let's get to Joe in Cambridge. Hey, Joe, welcome. You're next on Nightside with Dr. Brad Costco. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, good evening, Dan. Good evening, Dr. Costco. Um, I, I, I have to say, Dan, that, that this is, a, you know, I call in quite a bit. And I'm actually, I think this is one of my favorite part of the, your shows, one of your segments. Um, Thank you. I'm so, by the way, is one of my best and favorite callers. Very, very, uh, a, um, a free thinker in Cambridge. <laughs> Putting it mildly. Thank yeah. you, Dan. Um, so, Dr. Dr. Costco, um, thank you for all the um, great information, and um, I'm fascinated fascinated by your background. Um, I know you touched upon some of the um, various applications, you know, uh, uh, that they prob- they could possibly put the AI to best use, such as you know the medical field and trying to solve the planet's problems. My question to you is, um, with your background and what your thoughts are. I've always been fascinated with space travel and, um, you know, the exploration of, you know, various parts of the universe and obviously the planets. And currently I know that there's a lot of restrictions in terms of how far human beings can actually travel, um, mm-hmm. ma- mainly due to the fact that... Joe, you know, i got to push you to the question, Joe. Go ahead. Yeah. So, Get yeah. so, uh, so, so my question is... Um, I know I know NASA's coming up with a $3 billion project to go back to Pluto, but what are your thoughts on AI's ability in the near future to be able to come up with, you know, um, you know, wormhole technology, solve that problem, and, and the ability for, for humans to travel further in space? I, I wouldn't hold my breath, Joe, on wormholes because it doesn't look like they're stable. But in terms of using AI for probes, that's great. That's wonderful. What we do need more of, we're getting back to, is using plutonium 288, not 289, to create long-term batteries for deep outer space. It it creates something very hot because of alpha particles on one side of metal, and deep space, of course, is super cold on the other. And that difference in temperature gets a current flow. Those are the longest-lasting batteries that are known to us. 
but we kind of let our nuclear reactors run out, which is a whole different story. But it's very promising. It's difficult to go into space. Like, my understanding is just to go back to Mars, if we don't have special shielding, the astronauts, well, the probability of getting DNA damage that causes cancer is like 90, 95%. So it's going to be tough. Uh, we'll be able to get the, there eventually. the astronaut pool, I would say, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But So we we have to do a lot of stuff through robotics. And then ultimately what we want to do more of, I think you're hinting at, is sending more information by light to distant places and hopefully with more advanced systems be able to get that to kind of bootstrap in with some local matter into a device, often called a von Neumann probe, and then we can go much beyond where we are. But in terms of us getting on a space device and going to something much beyond the moon, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, plus, I think they downgraded Pluto. Poor Pluto's no longer a planet. But you, you hit the nail on the head. Thank you. I, you. You answered my question. That's what I kind of was looking for. Thank you. And uh, Joe, thank I think you, thank that you much, yeah, with that information, we could probably get there. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Thank my you, Mike. pleasure. Can you buy me a minute, Rob? I'd like to give Mike and move in a real quick. Uh, okay, Mike, we got uh, like a minute. Uh, you've called late. Go right ahead. You're on with Dr. Hey, Brad Dan, I, Dan I, 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 a quick question for you, Dan, and, and Dr. Thank Cosco. You. Thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan. Love a voice of reason. Um, question I have is who who verifies the data that goes into these AIs? Great it's question. Like, no, great question. Garbage think- in, garbage out. It's exactly the right question, and we're going to find that question out through, I think, depositions like this lawsuit I mentioned, a big federal class action lawsuit right now underway, and probably a lot more. We don't know. That's kind of scary. And we don't also know, we hear rumors about what else they may add to it. So there's what's called fine-tuning and post-tuning. Are people putting in their political biases or it may be with the best of intentions. We just don't know, and that's a huge deal because it is a form of garbage in and hallucinations out. But in what way does it hallucinate? Is it politically biased, for example, or is it unfair in other ways? We're going to have to find out a lot more, not just about the methodology, which needs to be open, like the name OpenAI, but especially this of what you're training on and who that it is and the propriety of it. Fabulous question to end with, Mike. Thank you, sir. Dr. Costco, thank you very much. If folks are looking to perhaps pick up an updated copy of Fuzzy Thinking, how do they get it? It's available right now on Amazon. Just came back out. Perfect, perfect. Love to have you back. We've only scratched the surface. You're a brilliant guest, My and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm really honored to know you. Thank you so much. We'll Anytime, Dan. Again. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks so much. We come back. We'll have some more fun. Uh, things you didn't know about Hunter Biden. And then we'll have Bill Brett. And uh, later on, we'll have a 20th hour coming back on Nightside. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.